0: Hey guys, thank you for checking out Bucked Up. Just before we start, I would love if you'd hit the subscribe button, like, share the video. We have new episodes coming out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And starting in the new year, check out Wrapped Up exclusively on Vivo. This episode is sponsored by Exotic Roots Hydro, which... I have to give a huge shout-out to. They are a huge supporter of the podcast, and I'm really happy to be working with them. If you're ever in Rochester, New York, and you need to learn about any of your hydroponic needs, go to their shop. You can follow them at Exotic Roots Hydro on Instagram. Shout-out their whole team. They have an amazing venue space. Uh, They're going to be putting on tons of events. Just make sure to follow Exotic Roots Hydro on Instagram, and if you're ever in Rochester, definitely stop by. Let's get back into it.
1: It was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. fucked up. fucked up. Now he fucked up. fucked up. Now
0: you have fucked up. How did you get into starting shows? I guess is where I would.
1: Um, I worked. I went to school. Uh, ended up. I'm from Southern New Hampshire. Um, I'm born and raised in New England, but, you know, northern Mass, southern New Hampshire. A small little town called Sandown. Okay. I lived in
0: Pepperell, Mass, right on the Nashua border for some time. Yeah, a little more east. A little more
1: east. I grew up in just Georgetown, Massachusetts, (laughs) Um, which is next to Haverhill, Mass. It's Essex County, more northern Massachusetts, and then moved to southern New Hampshire when I was around 12 went to school out there, but then I, after I graduated uh, community college out there, I went to Northeastern, Boston, and ended up, uh, that's us. I went to school for music industry, I got my internship for Metro Concepts, and Metro Concepts was a guerrilla marketing company at the time that was throwing concerts, and mostly at the Middle East, a lot of classic Middle East concerts that they put on there with like Def Jokes, LP, every underground, you know, booking a lot of the underground hip hop shows at the time, um, managing artists, Mr. Lift, Acrobatic at OG, uh, street teaming, putting up flyers, hitting all the colleges, hitting all those retail locations that are around at the time. I was one of those street team kids hitting out shows at let outs, boom, 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 boom. So I kind of saw how that was going on. And with the music industry crashing, you know, downloading starts to take over. There's not much music industry jobs that concerts seemed like a short bet at the time. Um, so I started throwing my first concerts at the Middle East, you know, and, my, and uh, in 2004 well, I was my senior year. My last year, I shouldn't say senior year because <laughs> I was in college for a while. But uh, <laughs> my last year in college, I uh, started throwing shows and then uh, just, just went full time right after that. Boom. Wow. And, uh, so your
0: first shows were at the Middle East because I know people listening aren't really from Massachusetts, but that's where I've seen a lot of your shows.
1: You know, uh, my first big show. I, I will say my first couple of shows were at All Asia, <laughs> and then, I don't know if you know that club venue. No, I don't. <laughs> it was a little Chinese restaurant. Uh, stage was in the corner. and was one of those bars that was in the middle of the middle of the room. Not not ideal for live music, um, and th- that was where you know it was a terrible sound system. But yeah, that's where everybody kind of started, and you, I started did two shows there. Um, I always want to get into the Middle East. So second, I had a chance, and second, I had a good show. I was I was at the Middle East nightclub, and I uh, threw my first show with Royce the Five Nine, Cunna Linguist, Tone Deaf, Juice the Battle Rapper, uh, and, and Jake the Snake with JDS at the time was the local artist. Still, so really. Up, and, uh, that
0: yeah. was your first show. Yep, that was my first show. Man. Damn! So that was oh four. Yep. So the
1: so it was always rap for you. Yeah. Yeah. As far as promoting concerts go, I mean, I grew up in a rock era. I love classic rock. I love rock music. I love all types of music, but I just went gunning with hip hop from the age of like 12 on, you know, not that I gave up that other music, but hip hop became like the career, you know, that was the, when I wanted the industry, I wanted to get into.
0: It's funny. I I kind of have gone down a similar path at that point, but I've, Rap, I kind of took over everything. Yeah, around 12, I would, or maybe 16 around that time. But Royce was your first artist headlining.
1: At the time, Royce was in transition. So, Royce was like, he wasn't really messing with Eminem and all those guys. He was kind of left on his own a little bit. And he was like, strictly an underground artist. And uh, he wasn't as big as he is now or, or was with eminem so he was in like this little like kind of transitional phase so it wasn't it wasn't a sold-out concert it wasn't a huge show but I even mean, he was a legend already at that point um you know and he was still working with dj premier and whatnot so he had joints but he didn't have the fan base that he has in the beginning or right now so yeah. it was it wasn't like a gigantic show for a first time promoter at that point it was a great well, he, it, was a, it was a big show for me but
0: were you disappointed that there weren't many people at the show or were you like looking back now, I bet it's a cool like feeling, but like in the moment were you
1: like, God damn it. Yeah. As a promoter, you always want more people at your show. It didn't do as well as I thought it would do. Lost yeah. a bit of money. Um, but it, it was a great show. <laughs> it was, That's it was a no, great show.
0: I just threw my first rap and comedy show in Brooklyn and, oh, right. uh, it it was actually very well attended. We sold it out. Uh, It was sold out, but I lost a lot of money on it in the end.
1: How does that happen? It was, it was was usually the promoter's favorite words. It's the promoter's favorite words is sold out. You don't usually associate losing money with sold out, but uh, it was a
0: lot of, uh, see, I'm not a booker. I'm a comedian who threw my first show. So it was a lot of like giving out free tickets to fill out the room and then oh. like certain artists and stuff like that and it end up being a great show but i understand like looking back at it it's going to be a great memory but in the moment especially also performing on the show yeah is i bookings no longer a thing i'm going to try to be doing i need that you can't, it's hard to be the performer and the booker i feel
1: yeah and that, and that was that was something i realized early cuz I, I used to host a couple of the shows in the beginning and not even that, just hosting um, was too much because as a promoter. You got to run around, you got to deal with all this crap, right? Yeah. So it's like, I don't, you really only have time for that, you know, because at the time I was stage managing as well. So it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I was like stage managing, hosting, and doing all the other stuff that goes around the show and dealing with the artists coming in and out, guest list, and all this other crap, hospitality. At that point, I was doing all of that. So, yeah, I mean, there was no room to host a show, so I let other people do it. Had you,
0: had you know, ever was, had you ever been on stage before? Like, did you want to be a musician or because hosting? That's a like that's a hard thing to do.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't like a, a dream of mine to do it. It was just something I did um, yeah. at the time. You know, I was like, I could do it. You know, I wasn't the greatest at it. And uh, so I, I mean, it wasn't easy to pass that off. It wasn't uh, something I was inspiring to be uh, the host of the show. It was just something I kind of did for a minute there, but it was really short lived, <laughs> really short lived. Cause I just had other people that wanted to host. So I was like, all right, you guys do it. You know, What
0: made you get into it? Like even study music, like the industry in college, because.
1: Well, it was, it was, you know, where I'm from, you know, there w- there was no music industry you know there wasn't really much of arts there was bars and drinking and dj's and i was a dj first really um i was a fan then i was a dj and i was djing in new- in new hampshire at the time i was living in you know concord new hampshire S- you know sandown new hampshire basically this southern new hampshire and uh the the, the the DJing scene in the clubs was just kind of running its course. It was like, you know, you either played top 40 or hits or you didn't really, you know, no one was moving around, you know. And that wasn't really the hip hop that I was into at that point. At that point, hip hop really starts to go underground and the whole underground, underground hip hop renaissance, they call it now, with you know, raucous records. All, you know, all these independent artists were starting to come out. Twelve inch, twelve inch singles and stuff like that. So I was really more into that. Nobody really wants to dance to that. (laughs) That's more like hip hop. That's more like a hip hop aesthetic, which has always been my thing versus entertaining. And um, so I, I, you know, I got sick of playing juvenile back that ass up, you know, every four times a night. So I was like, what's the next move? And the only thing I could think of is I got to learn what to do. So I had to go. I was like, well. You know, I looked into colleges in the area and Northeastern had a music industry program, and my grandfather had went to Northeastern, so at the time, Northeastern it was a good fit. You know what I mean? And and you know, it wasn't super. It was expensive, but it wasn't super expensive of what as it is now. At the time, it was pretty expensive, but it wasn't. You know, you could get loans for it, and yeah. it was realistic loans that you could pay off. Um, and it put me in Boston and it put me in a city where I, where the music, I knew the music industry was going because I had gone to these concerts and my boy, Peter Parker was living in Boston and he was telling me about the scene. So I knew that I needed to get into an area where stuff was going on. And school was going Northeastern being that was going to be that. So that's kind of what got me into that.
0: So then you study it. And so when did you graduate versus 2004 when you threw that first show or the first big show?
1: Yeah, I mean I graduated two thousand and four, same year that I threw that show.
0: Oh wow. Was there a yeah, scene? Like said, going? My
1: last year my last year of college, I was starting to promote concerts. <clears throat> so I was already starting to do that. I had already had the internship and I was working promoting concerts my last, you know, my last year of college.
0: What did you study at community college? Just business management. Did you wanna yeah. use it? Did you like
1: like okay. Originally, I went in. Originally, I went in for accounting. I went to this small school, uh, New Hampshire Technical Institute (NHTI). There's a bunch all over New Hampshire. Um, the one I went to was in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, because they had that one had dorms. Because I didn't want to stay back home, so I could go live there, get away. Because you know, back home was <laughs> starting to wear thin on me at the point at that time. So, like, I just wanted a new experience. So once I went for accounting, because I was good at it in high school, but then once the taxes came around, I was like, I got to get out of this. (laughs) you want to be a DJ?
0: Was that, like, in the back of your mind?
1: That came later. Yeah, I think I did. I did. I got my first set of turntables at 19. I was uh, second year in college. Oh, so you were okay. First, my second year was in my community college. Um, Yeah. I was always a music enthusiast, and my boy, Peter Parker, was a DJ. So I'd, like... I had that ear and that taste, and I really—I had been making mixtapes since I was a kid, you know, when they were actually tapes. So it was like the DJ was the progression, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, DJ Premier was obviously my my you know my musical idol, and you know, he's 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 the greatest in my opinion. So I mean, I wanted to do it, you know, and so I did that, and that's how that happened
0: do you miss it like do you ever want to dj again
1: yeah no i I curate now i'm a curator now i have a playlist and i do that because and you know even though i'm not doing transitions between songs which i miss i miss really miss mixing two records with similar bpms together i love that that's what really made me want to dj Mm -hmm. um but you know, I, curating, I will say that curating a playlist is, a, is it's time consuming, but it's a little easier because when you, when you made mixtapes, and I made a lot of mixtapes as a DJ, um, you know, you, you put out the music, you put together all this time into making a mixtape and then, you know, two weeks later, a bunch of new music comes out, you have to make another one and the old one's kind of obsolete. So <clears throat> just being able to update a playlist every week is is better, you know, because it keeps me fresh on top of the music and. I don't have to redo everything, you know. I can just, you know, add and delete, you know.
0: Yeah, but you got into it wanting to be like on the stage. Not even I don't know if you ever rapped or anything, but like, do you miss it? Do you ever want to go back and like do a live show?
1: No, because I never did live shows. I did dance nights, DJing. So like, I don't miss that. I mean, I've rocked, I've rocked some parties. You know what I mean? I was able to rock a bunch of parties. You know, that was cool. But you know, that wasn't really why. 100% 100% why I wanted to be a DJ. My whole point of DJ was to play good music that I liked. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to knock all commercial music, but I was playing a lot of stuff I didn't like just to get paid. And it was like, that's not why I'm doing this.
0: Right. But you probably are at a point now where you could do something where you play what you want.
1: Yeah. I think now if I was like, you know, I went back to it and I was like, yo, know, I'd started a night and could play like something in a small little venue, you know, where it's not like, you know, where they're open where there was an open you know boston has more open-minded to it so it's more of a scene for that <clears throat> but at that point when i was back doing shows like being a promoter was i didn't have time to dj anymore
0: did so, you want to
1: be a promoter was like
0: you said curating the list but like what's <clears throat> curating shows because that lineup that you yeah. threw on your first show is insane like you know looking back at it now people who missed out on that show are like god that's a great lineup but like were you always you wanted to be the curator yeah.
1: i did like curating lineups i did like that for a while there that was what i liked to do you know eventually it became into you know i wasn't really cu- i couldn't really curate lineups anymore It kind of like you had to, you had to do it a certain way so that kind of that joy came away was but that it came a change back in and- the
0: industry or was that a change in you being too busy
1: it was a change in just the, the business plan really. Cause I had to like book necessarily acts that I didn't necessarily, you know, I had to book acts based on bringing people and selling tickets versus booking acts that I think creatively made more sense on the lineup. And that was an unfortunate trapping of the business that I fell into for years. Um, luckily the last few years, um, And there's nothing against those artists that were on there. They were great and they helped support the scene, but it wasn't really, again, here I am doing something that I wasn't really loving doing because it really wasn't creatively what I wanted to do, but it was just what I had to do. And But the last few years, I was able to get back to kind of like curating shows with the lineups that I wanted to to put together. How do you get out
0: of that trap? Like when you get in that mindset where you're like, oh, it's all about the business. Like it's then hard to... Find the uh art in it again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've had to, yeah, I've been completely uninspired many a times. You know what I mean? Completely uninspired, like just kind of like going through the motions, doing what I do. Um, but I have to find, you know, sometimes you have to put effort into finding, you know, ways to make it work so it is inspiring or find inspiration in some form. While maintaining a balance of paying the bills, <laughs> so yeah. it's like it's the art versus business all the time. You know? All the time, and, yeah. And it's there's swings in that. You know what I mean? This this swings where things are really good, and then swing things. It's life. You know, things are bad, and you go through all these. You live and you learn, and you. I, mean, I got to keep learning, you know. And the, the terrain has changed constantly. I mean, totally, especially right now. You know, like you know, the yeah. terrain is completely at change. It's crazy
0: so, now because I've gone to shows where I, not for nothing, thought they would be packed out and they're not yeah. or vice versa. And it's or just it's so strange because I, I still love going to shows. It is a completely different thing post uh, quarantine shows. Yeah,
1: there's still a lot of hesitation out there yeah and um you know you, you have you have a bunch of there's, there's a lot of controversy you know vaccine mandates that's a controversial thing um is, is delta variant that you know still exists so it causes hesitation of people being like eh, you know maybe i'll wait let's see how this plays out or you know maybe they'll go see the biggest and biggest you know favorite act that they want to go see you know yeah go see dave Chappelle. but you know they might not go they're not going to go see like a lot of those like middle acts or up-and-coming acts that you know they might eventually just go out on a night to go see there'll be hesitation on those
0: i know i was really mad i was supposed to go to the middle east uh the other day to see uncle john and dash and they didn't have, and Al and a lot, and they didn't have enough presale tickets sold, so they canceled the show, and I was like, oh, that's, not for nothing, I thought that was going to be packed out.
1: Yeah, and that's happening. You've yeah. seen that happen, you've seen shows, you know, go up and then get canceled. And, you know, and the bands are all postponing and doing all this other, you know, they didn't, it's just a mess, man, you know what no, me? I mean? Like, totally.
0: Is it just, hard then being like, like how are you adapting how can you adapt to the situation
1: well I, as a promoter i kind of like so 2000 the beginning of 2020 i you know the last the last couple of years as a promoter I'm still a promoter but you know i was working I, I i as a promoter i transitioned into a booking a talent buyer Booking agent for the Middle East and then work my way up into becoming eventually general manager of the Middle East talent buyer. January 2020, I left that job. By March of 2020, COVID hits, wipes everything out. All shows are shut down. So at that point, I was kind of like, well, I'm not booking shows for a while. So I didn't. And I transitioned into becoming a digital marketer. So basically I took the techniques that I've learned from promoting events and applied it to music artists releasing music and worked with artists to help push their videos, um, you know, their new music, their releases, whatever they got going on. I I applied all that. And I do, I work with artists doing that. Um, When shows started coming back last summer, Um, You know, the the vaccine came out and everybody thought, hey, we're going back to work. It's going going back to the way it's supposed to be. There was a rush of shows where I was helping um, book a couple things. But then all this controversy that I just said put everything on pause. So I'm not booking shows right now at all. Um, I help, you know, venues like the Middle East and uh, the Palladium in Worcester. Um, I help them promote their shows but I'm not actually booking them myself. I'm not really that. I'm not a booking agent or a talent buyer. at the moment. I'm strictly helping people promote. Um, so that's- Do you miss the, it
0: or do you like this transition?
1: Um, I don't miss, you know, things are getting a little crazy there at the end because I actually worked in the Middle East. So I was like getting a combination of internal craziness mixed with the other shows. You know, after 17 years of doing it, or 16 years, whatever, Yeah, six 60 we'll just say 17. Um, yeah. You know, if I'm done, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, I miss a good show when it does well. I miss all the goodness about it. But like we just talked about, it's very stressful. I don't miss all that. You know what I mean? I don't miss about, I don't miss negotiating uh, prices with artists on <laughs> debating what they're worth, <laughs> especially in these times where it's lower, they're going to, you know, there's a lot of bite back on that. Um, I don't miss, yeah, I don't miss negotiating money. I don't miss the stress of worrying about a show doing well and taking on that financial burning and, and the, the, the running of an event sometimes when it's hectic, some events are really easy to run. Some events are really hard. So I don't miss, I don't miss the negative sides. Hey, do I miss walking into a venue that I promoted and shows sold out? And everyone's having a good time telling me how great the show is and the performer kills it. Of course I miss that, but it's not always that. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: Most of the times, it's probably not.
1: <laughs> it's there's more. there's more stress than there is that. Yeah. Did um, that ruin the the music for you? Yeah, of course. When, when you make your passion your job, <clears throat> the passion kind of goes away a little bit. That's normal. I think that's normal for any f- trade where you're like, you're you're doing it so much that it, it's it's a job, right? And. Sounds exciting at that point. I mean, there were many shows that I booked that I was like, I didn't even watch. You know, I was like, I was up in the office doing (laughs) paperwork. So I was like,
0: yeah,
1: it got to that point for me. Do you
0: still feel that taking a step away? Are you kind of like, that's a past life or?
1: You know, I liked, you know, I liked booking a good show, booking it, bang. Can take, I can leave everything else. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I miss like, oh, I booked a dope show. I miss that feeling. Um, but, you know, I hate to say it, but eventually, when you start watching so many shows, they all start to look the same. You know, you see the same techniques used, especially with hip hop. It's like some a lot of people recycle the same moves. You know, the quality of performances went down. I will say that. I agree. It, the attendance might have been better and the energy is still there, but the quality of performances went down. I mean, I with watched the, volt, with the rapping Hood over Hood your lyrics
0: at the basement what? of the Middle East just count cash and drink from a bottle of codeine while well, the
1: <laughs> Hoodrich
0: Pablo Juan. Oh, yeah, I didn't
1: watch that. No. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: no, and I like his music, but I understand that the quality of performances did go, did dip for a long time. I feel like I like it now with Griselda and like, there's definitely some good performances
1: now. Yeah. We did Griselda a bunch of times at the Middle East and those are great shows. And, you and you know, there were a lot of good times over the years that made it worth it. You know what I mean? But as you get older, eventually, you know, in the way the business was going and where it was going at the, you know, at the time, uh, it was just it wasn't it wasn't worth the stress anymore you know so if i can say now that if i never booked another show uh i'm okay with that because i did it for 17 years so <laughs> like so most with, most promote
0: with most promoters saying, yeah what? with what you're saying i guess like i don't know I'm I'm at the beginning stages of entering the the business and it's starting to go well. You know, it's starting to take off. And I of course it's a completely different thing, but what advice do you give? Because I do want to like keep the passion, especially because I'm taught like everything I do is like people can see. So if I lose a passion in a conversation, someone's gonna tell that. Hey guys. This episode is sponsored by the podcast Woody Two Shoes, hosted by comedian Thatcher Wood. Other than being a really good friend, Thatcher is one of the funniest comedians and podcasters I know. Uh, Woody Two Shoes is available on all podcast platforms. It's a comedic podcast where he interviews a different interesting person each week, and they get into a bunch of different topics. Uh. You should subscribe to his YouTube channel too. At hundred subscribers, he's given away merch. At five hundred subscribers, he's given away a PS5. That's right. Yeah, a PS5. So make sure you go subscribe to Woody Two Shoes on YouTube and uh, follow Thatcher on Instagram at Wood Two Shoes. Two is in the number. Wood Two Shoes on Instagram. Let's get back into it. Are
1: you trying to be a promoter? You're just trying to be the comedian? i'm
0: a comedian i'm not a
1: promoter that's
0: what i mean is Uh, i so you're asking me for advice on
1: on being in what you want my recommendation on being a comedian
0: (laughs) no no, but i'm a comedian but i'm interviewing in the rap world like that is advice of not losing your passion going into an industry it doesn't have to be
1: right no i hear you balance you know um the key to success is consistency. You know, yeah. you know, you that I I was only, I became by default one of the bigger ones, independent promoters, only because I did so much. I just kept doing; it. I didn't stop. Um, you just kept seeing my name, Leads Edutainment presents. My banner was up at every shows. People got to know me that way. You know, um, that the consistency and persistence and hard work is really the key to, you know, you hear it all the time, but that was really what happened.
0: That's good to hear because I do three episodes a week now, but I don't want to burn myself out, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's the other thing is, you know, you got to, for years it was like all work, no play. You know, you don't want it to, you don't want to do it too much that consumes you that you're don't enjoy it anymore. You know, uh, that was, I made enough money at that time to, to be able to do that and the options were limited but you know especially if you're a, but i wasn't a performer so you know a performer you know you have to it's a whole different animal
0: <laughs> <I know. laughs> well that's why not that i get like it's too bad that but you also dealing with an artist negotiating price right there probably ruins 90% what? of it. Like that just seems so stressful and I don't think people who book shows or want to book shows even realize asking telling someone their
1: worth is a is a hard thing to do. Well luckily most of the times I didn't have to talk to the artists themselves. Mm-hmm. Um I had to talk to their agent. But they're trying to get as much money as they can. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah, and then
1: I'm trying to not lose, I'm trying to negotiate so I don't lose money, but don't but still get the show because I want the show. So that's really, you know, that's the name of the game, right? There is finding that, you know, finding the number that works, and that's the trickiest part about being a promoter is trying to gauge what an artist is worth and how many people are going to come out so they. Because, you know, if you, you if you overbid it, you're going to lose money. And if you underbid it, you don't get the show and you don't make any money. So, so you know, and then you got, you know, and in, in the music business, there's a lot of financial insecurity flying around because no one's making enough money. So it's so much stress on, on that process. And, you know, venue is a tough business too. You know, being a music venue is tough, you know, I mean, to survive. Never mind in these times. <clears throat> and it's... Yeah, that's, you know, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress. And I don't miss that at all. You know, anytime you throw money into the mix, it's going to, you know, in a financially insecure business, it's going to cause problems and it's going to cause arguments and it's going to trigger fear in people. And and it did, you know, there was an understanding for a while. I mean, I I was good at it for a while, but, you know, you get into these same arguments all the time with people, you know, and it, it wears on.
0: Where's on you? you know? 100%. So, I couldn't imagine that. No, for like, I couldn't imagine the stress. Night so that part's night.
1: tough. And then, like, let's say the show is not doing, you know, you could, all right, so and so sold out last show. This show should sell out, right? The next time he plays, it should sell out. Maybe it doesn't. So then you got an offer that uh, based on this last sold out play. And then next time around, for whatever reason, people aren't buying tickets this time around. So now you got this whole stress on your brain of like, oh, this show's going to lose money. Now that's a whole nother animal because now you're like, Oh God, you know, and if you're independent, that's coming out of your pocket. So you're, you carry that around with you. Yeah. You know, luckily I won more than I lost, but still that whole losing process ruins the whole show. Like it ruins the whole, like, Oh, I don't even care about now. You're like, you almost go get, it's tough to shut up that animosity towards the event now because you lost money on it, even 100. though it still could be a good show. Cause you know, the performer's just looking to entertain the people or, you know, connect with the people that are there. And, you know, I've been to great shows where there's been 10 people in the crowd. It's been awesome. But <laughs> but if it's your money on the line, you're like, this show sucks.
0: Yeah, and then it, it, <laughs> it, it would be hard to, like, take it, um, not take it out on the artist. There's so many or, different venues in Boston. Is that, like, another uh, piece to it? Or do they work pretty much... Symbiotic. Well,
1: it's, it's, you know, that was another challenge. You know, there wasn't many independent venues for me to work out of. Uh, I worked out of the Middle East, which was a you know, legendary venue. I was coming into a legendary venue doing shows that with a, with a huge history of doing underground hip hop shows. So, I mean, I was able to fit in there. But I didn't really have many other options of where I could go in Boston. There was a lot of smaller venues around, but bigger I had no other options because they were run by Live Nation and AEG which are big commercial companies and they don't really work with independent promoters they book everything themselves and I was also became working at the Middle East and being you know a talent buyer I was competing with them so you know there was a whole competitive thing there going on so I wasn't really allowed I mean I did some shows with uh, you know uh, with them in the beginning but then it became you know strong now so I, I grew to Worcester Palladium. I, I've done some shows. I've done some big sold out shows there.
0: That's a great venue. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it was in Worcester. So it was hard to convince people to play there versus Boston House of Blues. So yeah. it was or Paradise Rock Club, you know, so. I love when
0: people it, go to Worcester or Providence and they go, what's up, Boston? Yeah. <laughs> when they're on stage. Well,
1: well, they're pulling a lot of people from Boston. You
0: know? No, I know. I know. But you know what? I, it's, it's, yeah. uh,
1: they should say new England. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or even the Xfinity center in Mansfield. They'll do that. They'll say, what's up? Yeah, like, we're not in Boston. We're about yeah. 40 minutes away.
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we've, we've kind of categorized new England, music scene to just Boston a lot of times. And I've always been yeah. trying to add them into, and, you know, I've done it myself, but, uh, um, nowadays i just say doing the music scene
0: yeah that's so you know funny. because
1: yes. boston's the hub but not everybody's from boston or goes to, you know goes to boston and can afford boston <laughs> so yeah. it's like you know like and there's a lot of talented people outside of that myself included uh that uh i lived in boston for 20 years though so i mean but i got in early when it was still like you know you could afford to live there but it was uh you know, but New England in general, in order to flourish, needs to stand as is all of New England. You know, because the smaller town areas like, you know, Fitchburg or you know, uh, you yeah. know Southern New Hampshire, Maine, Connecticut. Whoa, these, these are yeah, yeah the, 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 There's all scenes there, in it, you know. So I just throw it all. It's all New England. Yeah, I agree. They, you kind of need to... all everybody, because when you do a show in Boston. You know, 50 miles outside of Boston is Worcester, Southern New Hampshire, Providence, Rhode Island, everything there in between. You know, that's not just Boston. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's totally a whole not. area that's coming. I was living in Southern New Hampshire going to Boston to see shows. I wouldn't call myself a Bostonian. I wouldn't well, say I that drive to Boston, Boston every music. single
0: night from Fitchburg yeah. every day to perf- I wouldn't you I say know what
1: I mean, but. I wouldn't say that that was just a Boston music scene coming out. You know
0: what I mean?
1: So something to think about. I don't know how. Do you listen to Griselda at all? Sometimes, yeah.
0: It's funny because I don't know if you know this, but the Middle East shows, the early ones, they consider that the uh, when they really knew that they were next, when they really knew that something was different, was at those shows. And when you you know Conway said that.
1: Yeah, well, uh, thank you for noticing that. Uh, Middle East is, for underground hip-hop in the United States, is probably one of the best venues for it. It, it It's always in this area has always supported that sound that Griselda does. So, yeah, I mean, I did the little shows. I promoted the early Griselda shows. You know, West Side Gun, I didn't do it. West Side Gun played the Middle East solo once. A different promoter did it. i ended up helping book it but um but yeah i mean
0: yeah you were always into that underground hip-hop though so that works you know finding that because the middle east does i mean i've seen some of the best i just saw rome streets there a couple like a month or two ago and that was one of the best shows i'd ever seen
1: yeah it's a long history of those shows the middle east the last 20 plus years yeah. To, since underground hip-hop became a thing, um, it's, it's been a huge part. Because before then, like, concerts were like, first of all, Boston really wasn't doing hip-hop concerts at all in the 90s. It was just kind of had a bad stigma to it, and they wouldn't really. The venues wouldn't do it. So late '99, the late ni- uh, 90s, Metro Concepts and a few other promoters, shout out Detention, Metro Concepts, uh, Governor Pete, Diff, started throwing these shows at the Middle East and Cambridge was open to it. And, it and that's what's been going on since then what do you see
0: as your like do you like the uh digital marketing like what do you do you want to take a step away moving into other things like what do you see as your next chapter
1: well it's tough it's tough to navigate the next chapter under pandemic Yeah, yeah. So it's just I I do odds and ends jobs. You know, I'm also pre-pandemic.
0: What did you think your next chapter was going to be?
1: I don't know. Even at that point, at that point, I was, and I took it as far as I could in the 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 live the venue aspect. You know what I mean? I I went as because I went. I made a transition from being like promoter. I was still doing it, but I was going more in the. uh the venue world, you know, because I'm a talent buyer up to general manager. I thought it, that was the next step as I would open my own venue and do all this stuff. But I learned pretty quick how crazy and chaotic that business was. It wasn't really something that I wanted to do. So at that point when I was like, okay, now I don't want to do that. What's the next move? Boom, COVID. And now it's just kind of like seeing what the situation is. You know, I can't fully navigate this terrain right now. It's just kind of, I do miscellaneous jobs, you know, I drive, I deliver food, digital marketing, whatever, uh, yeah. pay the bills. Cause I don't really want to go back to the concert business right now. And nor do I think I want to, cause it's just so crazy right now. Um, it's just, it's, I just don't really want that stress and chaos in my life. And yeah. um, so I'm just, it, 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 just trying to figure out what it is.
0: Do you look um, back at it with animosity, or do you look back at it as like a good learning experience?
1: No, it was way more good than bad. Way more good, even as crazy as it got at the end, more good than bad. You know, uh, I was lucky. I was blessed. You know what I mean to have that, that those that years of experience and be able to take it as far as I. I took it as far as I could. <laughs> you know, if they were under different situations and different clients, I could have gone a lot farther, but it, there's, there's things I can control there. Um, yeah. Did I make a lot of mistakes? Of course. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I've learned from most of them. So, you know, I don't try to make those mistakes again, but no animosity, you know, no animosity towards what happened. You know, yeah. um, like I said, if I'd never do another show again, I had a good run. Um, and
0: you started a it podcast too, right? Yeah,
1: I uh, yeah, I've uh, I've done my own podcast. I've you know, about done about 44, 45 uh, episodes over the last year. I've just kind of try to put myself out there, um, and do you know, as a person, because everyone's like Leads Entertainment's a company. Yeah, I understand. You know, and my boy Peter Bar was like, you got to put your face out there mom well, They just think it's a. Just a company, and you—you you know.
0: Yeah, I didn't know it was just you. Honestly, yeah, yeah, like I'm happy yeah, I, I get to. I've been to so many of your events. I didn't yeah. know if it was like I, you know, it's cool to get to talk to you. Well,
1: I had a team. You know, I had my boy Jake Milo. He was stage managing for years. He was a really great guy. Uh, still is. You know, he's in a different field now. But you know, I did have a team, and numerous people interned for me and worked for me. And in working with the Middle East, it was kind of a team effort there their staff and me but yeah pretty much a one-man operation other than that
0: that's correct did you ever want to like did you always want to stay independent did you never want to i don't know
1: i yeah i i wanted to stay independent you know um you're working for corporations uh you know never really Never really was a thing I did, you know. Like, you know what I mean. Like, I had a couple desk jobs as, like, you know, my early twenties. I hated, so I was like, the idea of that was a little nuts. But I'm, I'm not really a sit still type of guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't really want to. I'm gonna try to bash the competition, but I do. Did, I didn't really want to work for them because they were the competition. I didn't necessarily agree with how they did things, treated people. So that really, and I kind of burnt a bridge there, competing. Yes. <laughs> so it was like that wasn't really an option. <laughs> and I loved the Middle East. I did for years. You know, I thought that this was a this this unique place of artist, you know, art you know artistry in the center of the arts district in Cambridge, where everybody was diverse. It was a diverse place. Everybody was welcome. And you know, I thought that hey, I was happy working there. <laughs> you know, until yeah, but you also had crazy. to manage a
0: restaurant,
1: which is well. I didn't do the ma- I didn't really do much of the restaurant. <laughs> oh, side OK, that's good. I thought you the made owner did that. Take I did over the venue. I did the venue side of things. Oh, but, oh
0: granted, well, that's at least I was sitting here being like if there was a complaint on an order, you had to leave the concert to go talk. To no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> OK, that's basically it was a general manager uh, interman thing. One of the owners had to step away and I kind of came in and manage kind of just help steer the ship yeah i didn't do all the minutiae but i oversaw the booking and i over you know i worked with the human resources and i worked with i worked with some <clears throat> trying to do some other implementing stuff to try to help bring in more business um, but family businesses are complicated if you've ever worked in <laughs> one you'll understand 100 percent. that's why when
0: you said you stepped into that role this whole time i was like Man, that's a big, that's a different
1: thing. No, I didn't. The uh, One of the owners um, handled the restaurant because that wasn't yeah. my strong point.
0: But even being a manager of a venue is very different than like booking shows at a yeah venue. There's
1: a lot more yeah. problems because you still have well, to you deal to- with employees. You got to yeah, deal exactly. with employees and their issues and stuff that goes down with employees. You know, in a place like the Middle East, there's always something going down. Yeah, there's always something with that place that just is no like
0: stressful but someone that is someone's job like when you go to a show you have to realize someone's but that just does not seem like something i would want to do
1: (laughs) it's what i thought was my the trend i thought it was the transition of what i was supposed to do you know you go from talent bot you go from promoter independent promoter to talent buyer to floor manager to general manager right like that's what you're supposed to do like i thought because i could not really go anywhere else i was thinking i was either gonna work there or open my own place so i wanted that experience and i and i sunk my teeth into it it just you know it was just the 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 nature of the business and where it was going and the commute in the city of boston and how the competition and all this other stuff was happening and it just was too much yeah for any human being yeah. I have a strong, I can handle a lot of stress. I've been doing it for a long time. And that way, even that was like, whoa. So it's just, it's a, it, the bottom line is it's a tough business model. A, a live music venue is a tough business model. Unless you've got deep, deep, deep pockets to handle the, the crazy swings of it. Um, good luck. Is that what happens? <laughs> then like a
0: company like Live Nation steps in? And it takes away the, like, mom, not mom, but it takes away the, like, more independent for the...
1: I, I can't say on what they do, but I will say... I mean,
0: didn't call them out, but you know what I mean. A big, a big company uh, steps in and takes over what was an independent thing.
1: Uh, you know, when you have a massive national corporation, two in the city, um, it's hard to compete against them. They have deeper pockets. They can bid more. They can put more money into the rooms and make them nicer. Um, there's a lot more connections world nationwide. They can book tours nationwide versus you're independent. You're just one city. It's just tough to go against them. It's tough to go against that. It's hard to say my room's better at that point or there's more upside that you should play the Middle East other than this. Um, but it's a feel. It is a feel. Like there's a reason that, like. Right. But there was a shift there was a shift of people wanted artists want to play newer rooms you know mm-hmm. like the Sinclair's a newer room was a newer room. they want to play the newer room bright Music Hall, which was originally was first when I was here was Harpers Ferry it was an independent room but then that got bought out that became a, <clears throat> that became a live nation room and that was a newer room so you know with a uh you know with a very hungry talent buyer that used to intern for me you uh, know that was tough too you know competing against him and it was you know it it was just a lot of changing factors in the middle east it's hard to keep up you know and it was it's old dirty rock club yeah you know and there is a lot of nostalgia around that and there's a lot of history around that and you can't take anything away from that but the people kind of gravi- wanted to gravitate towards the newer and you know the new lights and the new sound the, you know and the, yeah the the crazy hospitality it's just you know, the Middle East couldn't match that. So it was tough to compete with that, you know, and then the deeper pockets for the guarantee you know, pay the artists couldn't match well, that. But that's so, what's you know, kind was, of
0: happening in all industries is the kind of the money, the that's, money takes well, that's, over. That's, that's,
1: that's capitalism for you. Yeah. You know, and you can complain about it all day, but that's how it is. You know, you have a, you can have a perfectly good business right here. It's doing very well. And then someone could just say, hey, I want to open up a business across the street doing the same thing and just find a way to undercut you. And there ain't much you can do about it. And yeah. that's the nature of business. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I can sit here and complain about it. You know, I. I try to vote for things that don't, you know, a certain way, but it's like at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I don't have that much control over it. You know, that's the way things are and there's upside to that. But what I just said was the downside to that.
0: Right. But that's good that you can now put yourself out there because you have things to say. And if you have an opinion on something, then at least it's not like you don't have at least a little bit of a base. You can, start not talking yeah. and teaching that stuff like
1: yeah i mean you know businesses evolve venues have runs you know people have runs you don't you're lucky the time you have every just, empire falls yeah i get <laughs> the empire my fall. i mean who knows you know all these big venues i talked about i wouldn't want to be in right now you know i wouldn't want to be a big venue with you with all this all these assets in a, in a, in in a pandemic, you know, I wouldn't want want that. Well, can I I be like,
0: you don't, you don't work for these venues. So I can be frank with this. Like at the house of blues, I've been kicked out for smoking before. I've never been kicked out of the middle East for smoking. And I, that's whatever, but it is like, when you have a big company, they run it like a corporate company and it's less of a, no, you know, whatever. It's run like a business. If you, it's not run as like, a, all right, we understand that you're a fan of the music and uh, some things might happen because you're a fan of that music.
1: Yeah. I mean, trust <laughs> me, people have been kicked out of the Middle East with smoking. I've seen it. <laughs> Maybe not as frequently as the House of Blues, but you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I hope I don't get singled out now <laughs> if I ever go to a. No, uh, they don't care no but at the, but i'm it, there is a definite feel i mean
1: it is yeah i, I mean it's, yeah go ahead i'm sorry
0: no i just I don't That was, no i don't have anything to say either <laughs> why did you start the podcast why did you want to put your face <laughs> out there
1: it made sense because what i noticed was is there was like a lot of promotions companies on the internet trying to sell all these like crazy services like you know like thousand followers for 20 bucks and you know, you know, all these marketing things, things that I, I, I legitimately, I don't, you know, I I do digital marketing, but I'm not selling followers and stuff like that. I'm, I'm helping you try to reach the right people. And you can do that really well these days um, with the techniques that I've learned, but you know, I, I needed to give a face out there because I needed to personalize it to separate from those other companies. So the podcast Obviously, podcasts as, you're, as we're doing this right now are, are pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, all right, I could do it. I knew a lot of people. I, I figured, okay, I'll just start interviewing people. And to be honest, I get the best feedback. You know, people watch those interviews and they, they tell me they really like them. I get more. I get good feedback from that a lot.
0: What's your favorite one? Like, oh, I want to go back and listen to a full one. Yeah, that's tough to say. I know if someone asked me that, that would be a tough question or just well, like- people
1: ask me what my favorite show is on my favorite podcast. I mean, to be honest, you know, they're all, they're all good. I mean, you're a comedian. So uh, I had a good one with this guy, detention. He's a real funny guy. He's okay. Um, he's, that was a pretty funny one. I haven't interviewed any comedians yet, um, but I will. Um, but yeah, I mean, see if you recognize any names on there and, and watch those ones, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's very new England based um i do interview national artists obviously outside of new england but most of the time we're, you know it's, it's new england based yeah do you like you like doing it you feel like you like being yeah. put
0: your because it's scary uh, to put yourself out there as a as an entity as a person
1: yeah I, and i totally get that you know um I totally understand like as I being a performer and having to perform all the time and having that expectancy on you. Um, I don't, I, I try to remove that. I try to remove that when I'm doing the podcast, I'm just like, I'm me. It's going to be me. Take it or leave it. If you don't like me, fine. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's like, I'm just at this particular game, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with who I am at 40. So I'm just like, it is what it is, you know. We're gonna have a normal conversation. I'm gonna be me. You be you. It's gonna be truthful. It's gonna be real. We're gonna get a couple laughs. We're gonna tell a good story, and and that's really what it is, you know. I I do it more for enjoyment and connecting with people, especially when I can't connect with people like I uh, I used to. not yeah. being able to go out and stuff like that, you know. So it's it's I, I like the one-on-one conversations. I think that's good. I think people like that too because it feels real.
0: Yeah, that's why I do it and you were talking about the beginning that goes back to the like just putting in as much work as possible i honestly didn't think this podcast would take off the way it did i started during quarantine and everyone was like don't start a podcast during quarantine like everyone's doing that and i just wanted <laughs> to, i started having conversations with people i wanted to have conversations with and there's so right. many people i want to have conversations with that that has now grown to three podcasts a week so it's right. like and I just keep doing, I just want to put, and I think that is why it's starting to take off is because I don't care who listens. I just am putting out as all these cool conversations. Like, I don't know right. if you still stay with the underground rap scene, but like I got crime apple coming on yep. this week. I have Conway coming on next week. It'll oh, really? be like,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite in that whole world is Ransom.
0: Oh, I love Ransom. He's so good. He's the
1: best. He's the best in that whole world, in my opinion. I should say best because that could, like, piss somebody off. But I would say he's my favorite. Lyrically, he's my favorite.
0: No, I t- his new album with Rome Streets is so good.
1: I just think he's on, like, he's the best combination of, like, street rapper with intelligence. And Yeah. You know, his my...
0: lyrics are insane. Some of the things that he's, like, I can't even. He's very smart. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. yeah. Man, thank you so much for coming on. I really it was an honor and hopefully we get to uh, meet in person someday.
1: Yeah. Well, good luck with your everything you got going on, you know. what I mean, comedy's a tough market. I have, you know, like I have friends <laughs> yeah, that are they- comedians. Shout out my boy Josh Day. I don't know, do you know Josh Day? Yeah, I know Josh Day. Yeah, yeah. he's a friend of mine. I grew up with him. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and he used to run the comedy night at the Middle East and uh and I, he, you know, and it's a tough, it's a tough racket. So <laughs> it is. It's yeah. a really tough, yeah.
0: I'm trying to figure all that because I was like just getting booked around the city. I was enough. And then when the podcast took off, it more is like, oh, I have to figure out how to run, do this whole market by myself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Stay at it, man. Keep the, keep the, keep it going, man. Keep doing what you like, but also, you know, pay those bills. <laughs> yeah. And
0: enjoy it. And enjoy it. Oh, yeah. where can people find your stuff? Just before we wrap up. Yeah, you can up. check
1: me out on Leeds, L-E-E-D-Z. That's with a, Leeds with a Z. Edutainment.com. My handles are at leads E-D-U. Um, so yeah, hit me up. If anybody needs any help promoting me, promote whatever, rap, comedy, whatever it is, we can figure out a way to digitally market it.
0: Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time and for being on. I appreciate it. All right, bro.